0: Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callan. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today we are going to be reviewing the film The Black Phone. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for The Black Phone? Sure. After
1: being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims.
0: All right. See, I think that IMDb summary is too descriptive. You know, Mm, I think that reveal mm -hmm. would have been more fun, but, you know, they need to do their marketing, so. You know what, that's true. I I think there could have been a way to... Suggest. Suggest. yeah yeah Yeah.
1: without actually saying it i felt that
0: way when i was watching the movie too like i read the description of this movie and i'm like
1: oh i have a lot of information now yeah yeah and i didn't read the description Uh, so but like i i kind of guessed where we were going but i wasn't certain where we were going so that first like jump cut like when you see (gasps) Mm -hmm. that
0: first victim i was like oh holy hell like oh i've seen you before yeah. yeah yeah they could have said like receiving mysterious calls exactly from phone. yeah yes. and that's that's it that's all
1: you that's all you need to know because like- it still creates an intrigue yes and the scariness <laughs> so imdb we've got some notes for you <laughs> we, we do have we have some suggestions mm-hmm. yes we're gonna yes. take a red pen and
0: just fix this for yes. you yes okay what was your one sentence summary in sweet tradition for the black phone my one sentence summary
1: is once upon a time people actually answered phone calls
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) I love that this is so fitting for this movie and also a job at the masses because it's true no one likes Mm -hmm. to talk on the phone anymore we just let it go to voicemail absolutely we'll text you later (laughs) 1,000%
1: 1,000% do That's not call so me. I will not answer the phone
0: mm-hmm. because
1: why would I use a phone to make phone calls? No. Right. That's terrible. It's not what we do.
0: No. <laughs> My one sentence summary is if you thought puberty was rough for you, watch this movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Makes our grown-up years look like a walk in the park. 1,000%. <laughs> All right, so let's start off with our initial thoughts about The Black Phone, and we'll keep it general, keep it pretty high level, we won't spoil anything, we'll then include a spoiler, and then we'll have full reign. So, Sarah, what did you think about The Black Phone? How did this movie work for you?
1: I had a great time with this. Um, I'm not a big horror movie person, so I was a little concerned about this. Uh, but yeah, I had a I had a fun time. I think that it it does a a good job making nods to other really like famous horror movies. Uh, specifically, a lot of like Stephen King properties. It, it's very uh, influenced by a lot of Stephen King uh, works. Um, I think the way that it was directed was really interesting, and I'm I'm really I was really impressed by some of the the. Uh, like staging and how they, they just framed certain scenes and, and made this horror movie in some shots look really, really beautiful. So it was just kind of fascinating to see like how visually interesting they were able to make this one basement that this kid was stuck in. Um, I, I, I think that the film just, it's, it's solid. It, It doesn't do anything, you know, new or revolutionary in the genre, but I feel like it's such a good entry into the horror genre. Uh, And yeah, had a fun time with it, was rooting for this little kid, was intrigued in the story. I wanted to know what was going to happen next. So
0: yeah, I I was strapped in and happy to be along for the ride. So overall, this was a good time for you and you appreciate mm-hmm. the, some of the filmmaking components of this movie. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Um, I was so surprised at how sentimental this movie was in, in how much it leans into the coming of age aspect of the storyline. I was floored. I am not a big horror movie person as well. Um, so I was expecting there to be a lot more gore, a lot more like big showy jump scares and whatnot. And this movie is kind of a process movie. And along the way in this, in the process of this kid trying to get out of this basement, he learns a lot. And the movie is not subtle about all of the ways that it's looking to communicate that. It's pretty literal. Like this is you – finally standing up to all the people in your life that have walked all over you. And I was just not expecting that at all. That was incredibly surprising. It made it really interesting to think about the way that this movie is constructed, a lot of the exposition with Finney and his, his family life and the way that that sets up the, the later half of the movie where it's primarily about him in the basement trying to get out and um, stand up to his captor all of that was incredibly fascinating to chew on after the movie ended. So um, yeah, I'm just was just surprised by how sentimental and um, emotional this movie was. Yeah. For a horror movie. Yeah. I love that the
1: the movie took so much time to really get us invested in this kid. Um, And I, I, I don't think that that was necessary you know like in in the story you have a child kidnapped by like a sadistic serial killer (laughs) you don't need to invest a lot in the kid for us to be concerned about the kid to root for the kid and yet this film does so much to to show us his friends how he's picked on at school how he's picked on by his dad you know his relationship with his sister Uh, He lost his mom when he was really young, like all of these things to really make us root for this kid. And I just, like you, I love that they had this emotional arc for us to really hang on to when, I mean, honestly, the plot could have done without that and we still would have been, been invested in the kid. So I think that's just such a strategic choice to make this movie really well rounded. You know, it's not just this like serial killer type movie and there's nothing more to it. No, there's some emotional depth to this which is is nice to see.
0: Yeah, this movie is surprisingly thoughtful on what it's looking to communicate. And like you mentioned, I've I've seen I haven't seen a ton of horror movies, but I've seen a couple. And oftentimes the protagonists that we're following are pretty vanilla. They kind of serve as just these characters for us to follow to, to that are trying to survive and we don't really know that much about them. Um they are this there to scream and yell and jump um when things pop out. And this movie almost to me is like a more of a coming of age drama that happens to be very thrilling. Um uh, more so than it I was expecting it to lean into the horror aspect of this. So that was kind of fun to see the way that this this movie is mixing and really fusing together these genres. That it doesn't follow any formulaic um, structure that either the coming of age story or the horror movie um, structure typically follows. And I thought that was really really refreshing to see. Um, also, pretty neat coming off coming off of our discussion last week about Prey and just mm-hmm. the impact and value of character driven action and in this case it's character driven thrill and like you mentioned we are rooting for this kid beyond just him trying to get out and survive like there is a a deeper uh fulfillment for this character that we are hoping for him to be able to achieve
1: yeah i I was thinking about prey too while i was watching the black phone and just how refreshing it was to see action that was more than just action uh, and it's nice to see this horror film that's more than just about, like, trying to scare you. Uh, this film is actually trying to communicate something through this child and through these characters and their connections.
0: Exactly. So this is seems like a good time for us to include our spoiler If you haven't seen The Black Phone, we are now going to have full reign to talk about this film. Okay, so... I am um, curious about your thoughts about the the way that The Grabber is designed, the interactions in the way that as a horror movie villain, um, how does he stack up with some of the others that you've seen? And just kind of tell me your thoughts about the way that they constructed how The Grabber was designed as a character.
1: I, I love how they did the grabber. I thought that it was brilliant cuz in in a lot of ways the the grabber is set up in the first like 30 minutes kind of like the shark in jaws. You know, you you hear about him, then you see <laughs> The van, but it's blurry, so you know it's just a black van. And then you see the van again, and you can kind of see the writing on it, and then you see it a little bit closer, and then Finney's taken. So I just, I loved that you can feel the grabber's presence kind of lurking in this community before Finney is taken. I thought that that was just wonderful. Um, And I, I, the other thing that I love about the way that they did the grabber was that there's no attempt to understand him. There's, we don't learn anything about his backstory. We don't even learn his real name. We know nothing about this man other than he has a brother and he has a dog and he somehow owns two houses. That's all of the information that we have about this dude. And I think especially right now, you know, in this age of like obsession with true crime and serial killers. And like, we want to understand what makes these people tick. I love that this movie does not seek to give us any of that information because the movie is not about the grabber. This movie is about Finney. And, and so I just thought that that was so beautiful, the way that they were able to center it on this kid rather than making it about this like really weird, intriguing guy who is doing all of these evil things. Uh, But nope, it's not about him. It's about this kid.
0: So I thought that that was
1: really brilliant
0: the way that they did that. I agree. And were you also surprised at how little screen time the grabber actually has Mm -hmm. on screen? And yet every time he's he's there, it is highly effective and impactful, but he's not on screen as much as I expected him to be in this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I definitely well and because I didn't know anything about this movie, I definitely expected it to be maybe more balanced, like 50-50 him and the kid that he took. Uh but it's it's not about the grabber at all. He is just a an evil prop to be used to, evil <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. that's, that's kind of what he amounts to, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to, to help us focus on Finney and his growth.
0: Yeah. There's, I think that uh, the big chunk of our time in the second half of the movie is just spent with Finney talking to actually the other boys that were, mm-hmm. um, murdered by the grabber to give him clues or, or talk him through it or encouragement. Like there's so much time spent there. And then the grabber comes in these big showy flourishes, which are so well done. Um, but yeah, his screen time is very limited. His presence is very known, but his screen time is limited.
1: And that, to like, that's my favorite thing about like horror and thriller is you can feel that presence without them actually being on the screen. And so then that just makes that like anxiety just go through the roof uh without ever without needing to see your antagonist just a ton of the time and they use the grabber so strategically like i i loved that sequence uh when he first doesn't lock the door and so like as the viewer you go through so many emotions of like (gasps) oh my gosh he didn't lock the door did he make a mistake or is this a trap and then like Finney starts to go and you're like oh my gosh what's gonna happen is he gonna be free it's too early in the movie for that we can't do that oh my gosh is he gonna get caught and like just the way that they build that tension so then when we finally do see the grabber sitting in the kitchen just waiting for finny to come so they could beat the hell out of him mm-hmm. that is so fear inducing because we've we've built it up so much in that that little bit of time. So I think the the use of the grabber on screen just was that like, really dramatic point to help us, you know, reach a like, climax of fear. And then like, we can kind of go back down again, do some more process stuff. And then like, he comes again, and it's like, Oh, my gosh, it's so fearful. And then we can come back down again.
0: And what's also really great about that whole sequence that you just described is the the long shot of yes, uh, the grabber sitting in his chair in the kitchen. There is almost this sense of that shot was far longer than I expected it to be, but there, it almost generates this sense of awe and this the the, the showiness of the grabber is so apparent with his mask. There's a this like theatrical um, aspect about him and that whole long shot of this, like, one spotlight (laughs) shining upon him as he's sitting in the kitchen generates a sense of fear, but also this weird sense of awe at this man who has constructed this whole game that he has set up.
1: Yeah. And and to me, like – the film talks about how like other boys have gone missing. So we know this isn't the first time that he's done this, but I think especially that shot was that moment for me of like, oh my gosh, he knows what he's doing. And he has like perfected this, you know, it's, it's not just like, oh yeah, he's taken a few kids, but it's, he has this ritual that he does every time the exact same way. And he's done it this way to perfect it. And so it just, I don't know, to me, that made him even more terrifying, that that shot. Because it clicked in me like, oh, yeah, no, he's like, he's a legit serial killer guy.
0: This is terrifying.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And the way that they used the masks with every time mm-hmm. that we see the grabber also felt so intentional and strategic as well. Um, not just the, the the facial expressions of which mask he was wearing, which kind of felt like <laughs> the grabber was like selecting what mood he was in before he went mm-hmm. down. You know, like that's how weird and messed up this dude is. But especially the moments when we see later on that he only is wearing half of a mask and we we are able to see his top half with his eyes or able to see the bottom half of his face with his his mouth and the way that he talks it felt like this increasing uh sense of revealing of who this person is that created a lot of intrigue as well and every time he came down I wanted to see what mask he was wearing or which half of his face he is choosing to expose and and bear to the world um It's also incredibly interesting to me that in the final climactic scene where Finney is escaping, when he rips off the grabber's mask, the grabber is clutching his face almost as if he's like exposed. And I thought that was just such an interesting shot. And that progression is pretty fascinating on like understanding who this person is and what he's hiding behind, you know? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that idea that like the grabber is who he is uh, as opposed to like just this random guy, you know, like his, he has become the mask. Uh, so that moment when he is exposed is, I would imagine that that would be very terrifying. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved the uh, unpredictability of, okay, who, who is he coming down as because you even hear his personality and his voice change, uh, throughout the movie too. And so I just was so impressed at, at Ethan Hawke's performance in this because I mean, we don't, we don't see his face, but he is, he's emoting so much and he's telling us so much, even through those little tiny peepholes in the mask, his eyes are communicating a ton and it's terrifying and so it was it was fascinating to watch him you know sometimes he seemed really nice and and kind almost even though he's a captor so he's not kind but uh and then you'd see him be really harsh and and evil and I I was just on the edge of my seat wondering what version of him are we gonna experience next
0: And I love that you brought up Ethan Hawke's performance in this because he is, he is doing the most with such, uh, limited sets of what an actor typically has available to them. And so, uh, like you mentioned, he, he needs to rely on the look in his eyes or the pacing of the way he delivers his lines and the tones of his voice, whether they are, they would get incredibly low and deep in some Mm -hmm. moments and then, uh, not, and, his hand gestures as well felt so intentional um, and the timing of when he would deliver which of those many aspects. Um, he almost has to lean into these other um, acting components to express what he's trying to express because he don't no longer has basically any other part of his face other than his eyes to work with. And so all of that was highly effective. I'm curious if you felt this way at all, but there was Something about the way that Ethan Hawke delivered this performance of the grabber that also felt like there was this uh, vulnerability that was was woven into this really sadistic, awful uh, captor. But yet there was this this almost this softness and this um, helplessness that I felt with the way that Ethan Hawke portrayed the grabber that was just incredibly. Fascinating. I have a theory about why that might be as well, but I'm curious if you felt that way at all and why you think that might be the case. I don't think I
1: <laughs> like no. read that from him. At at first, like when we first meet him and he's doing that like first monologue uh when Finney's in the basement. Uh I was wondering if it was like cause his his voice fluctuates so much and his mood fluctuates so much in that like few minutes. And so I was like, are we dealing with like multiple personalities or something? Like what is going on in here? He's acting so erratically. Are we dealing with like a mental illness situation? What's going on? Like that was my first thought. But then like, as the movie went on, I was like, Oh no, he's just screwing with this kid. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that I read any sort of vulnerability or softness from him <laughs> at all. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but I'm I'm so fascinated. So please, please tell me
0: more. Tell me what I missed. Well, one of the things that I was thinking a lot about after the movie ended is how much that early scene where we see Vinny's father uh beating Gwen I think affects the way that I've received the second half of the movie there's Mm. because I think the the contrast of the horror of that scene versus this almost like theatrical um showy-ness of the grabber felt incredibly jarring and I I think that the the scene with the father is actually far more terrifying than anything that happened Mm -hmm. in the rest of the movie. So I was actually surprised at how I'm, I'm usually a scaredy cat. I'll admit it up on here. Um, and I wasn't as afraid for the second half of the movie part of it's because it's focused on the process bits, but, um, the, the fear that is, is so ingrained in that scene with the father, I think just. Cast this this shadow effect over everything else that happens with the grabber. Um, that I think the, if you, if we look at the contrast between these two characters as foils, the grabber and the, the father, um, I think it's just an interesting comparison in the ways that they are similar in a lot of ways, but also the, the, the almost like grounded in reality aspect of the dynamic between the father and those two kids versus the grabber and Finny um played into how I received the rest of the movie. And I just thought that was an interesting like choice to include that scene in such a honestly in such a graphic and emotional way um so early on in the movie. They they didn't have to do that. They could have just given us the the you know simple background context around this kid, these kids and their families, but that felt so intentional that they leaned so heavily into that scene with the father and Gwen.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think I was uh, more focused on how that affected Finney rather than trying to like compare these two male adults who are uh, being abusive and awful. Um, but I I found it so fascinating how that scene in particular also shows the, the bond between Gwen and Finney and that like when you are uh, in, in a difficult situation, when you are in an abusive situation, you tend to bond with those who have also suffered under the same hand. Um, and so I just thought that that like, collaborative nature or that, uh, that connection that he experienced with his sister also translated to him and these boys who were also abused and then murdered by the same same guy. So I think I was focused more on the effects of the abuse rather than the ways that the abusers are similar.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, because one of the things that I was thinking a lot about is how much Gwen's psychic powers and whatnot mm-hmm. contributed to, to Finney having this almost like portal into the spiritual realm of being able to talk to and connect with these other boys. Like that connection that he has with Gwen, that power that she has is, is like translating over into his situation. And we see cutting back and forth so many times in the second half of this this movie of her praying and and interceding for him and all of this kind of stuff. And so there is this like deep connection that they have that I'm sure plays into his his ability to connect into the the, the spiritual realm of these ghosts,
1: <laughs> and I love that the movie doesn't try and explain it. I I, I feel like there might have been a uh, a temptation to like, okay, this is this is how it works, and this is why it works, and and the film does give us some, you know bits about it you know their mother had some sort of like psychic connection that was passed down to gwen and all of that but the the film just kind of accepts that this is a thing that is happening and we just go along for the ride and and i love that the film doesn't try and over explain itself it's it just is what it is and this is this is how it's happening and you better get on board
0: yeah there's another version of this movie that would have tapped into Like explaining all of that at the end Mm of how it all worked and Gwen's powers and all that junk. We
1: don't care. And then it becomes a franchise and then she becomes like a a superhero (laughs) that's a psychic solving crimes, crime-fighting psychic superhero
0: and, you know, Uh all of that.
1: Uh I loved her
0: character. Yes, she was great. She was incredible. And the actress that plays Gwen did such an incredible job too.
1: I think I was just surprised how much time the film spent on Gwen. I really didn't expect that to be the case. I expected it to be mostly about the kid that was captured, but we spend a lot of time with her and just her her love for her brother and her, her need to advocate for him and protect him and find him and do everything that she possibly can, you know, even at risk to her own personal safety, to make sure that he comes back alive. And I, I loved that we got to see that sibling bond. Uh, I feel like a lot of times in movies, they're focused on like sibling rivalry and all of that stuff, but we get to see how these two really loved and and cared for each other. And she plays such an instrumental role in helping save him. And it was just fun to see.
0: And it's not just exposition as well, which is also kind of fascinating because as Finny is meeting the different boys that help him, there are these quite a bit of screen time that are spent in these flashbacks to, Times when he stumbled upon them at the local gas station or there was a time where um, we get a whole flashback scene of him getting bullied and Gwen coming and like with the rock Mm -hmm. with her badassery just stand like you mentioned standing up for him, defending him Um, and. And that's why this movie is a coming-of-age drama <laughs> because it, it's willing to give so much time in the middle of this captive-captor situation that should lean heavily into the horror aspects. It's not. It's, it's going back to this connection and this bond and these moments of schoolyard bullying and whatnot that is about Finney's growth and his development. It's just pretty unique. That feels unintuitive to do, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But somehow those those flashbacks and and having that context makes what he's going through even more horrific because we I think we feel more deeply for him. Like each flashback kind of places him in reality, you know. It places him in this world and makes him feel more like a real person. So then. We want him to escape even more. I feel like that's so effective in getting us more invested in the story, not only of Finny, but then we get the scope of what the Grabber has done and how that's affected the community and all of these other families. So I just I love that those flashbacks are used so well to establish the place and the time that these people are in. It's not just some like random abstract story, uh, but it feels like real people who this actually happened to.
0: Mm -hmm. It also helps avoid typically what I've seen in horror movies, which is that they just need to continue to escalate the encounters and the interactions Mm -hmm. and, like they he- need to keep like outdoing themselves when it comes to spectacle and thrill. Like these moments of of kind of breathing room for us to go back. And as you mentioned, it also strategically helps us connect more deeply with the characters. Also serves to make the next time we see the grabber show up and the next big thrill sequence um, feel more exciting because we aren't like we aren't like fatigued by the jump scares and the suspense and whatnot. We have this moment to breathe before the next time um, they interact again. Mm -hmm. They're little palate cleansers. Yeah, exactly. Before the next course of thrill and horror come. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I'm curious your thoughts about the way that this movie also is such a process film. Um, in a lot of ways, this this feels like an escape room. Like what are the, all the mm-hmm. random things that you can find and how what can you do with them that can help you get out? And I'm curious your thoughts on the approach that the movie takes with spending so much time as a process movie. Did it work for you? Well, you know how much I love a process
1: movie. My goodness. Can we just have more process movies? They're so fun. <laughs> this is the best but what i what i just i loved is the the ingenuity that came from each of these kids and you can see how each one of them had such a different idea for how to get out you know okay i'm going to i'm going to dig a tunnel i'm going to escape through the the window i'm going to escape out of this room you know all of these different ideas and i i loved seeing finny you know try and follow in all of again the coming of age bits trying to like follow in in their footsteps and like okay i'm gonna do the process i'm going to follow the instructions until the end when it actually he needed to bring all of the things together in order to actually defeat the grabber and so even in the process it's this like oh, no, I don't have to try and be like them, but I can use my strengths and bring all of these ideas together to actually succeed. But, yeah, it was it was thrilling to watch him try each little bit and and just wonder, like, okay, what are – I was always wondering what are the consequences going to be of him, like, taking this action. So, like, when he gets the cable and tries to, you know – pull that grate off. And it makes like this big giant noise. I mean, the room is soundproof. They had already established that. So the grabber probably didn't hear it, but I was so nervous in that moment. Like, oh my gosh, is the grabber going to come down and like beat him up for trying to destroy the basement or whatever. So each time he tried one of these process moments I I wondered what consequence there would be. And so every one of them had this like uh, sense of tension throughout because he was taking risks the whole time. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was fun to watch him and try and, and figure it out and try these different things and see the creativity of, okay, I'm stuck in this room. How the hell do I get out? It's a reverse
0: heist. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So. So I think we've discovered that this is prime training for teams in corporate America to learn about collaboration. Absolutely. The whole movie is about collaboration. It really is. And also this idea that like the sum of our individual ideas is far more powerful than our individual ideas in isolation, which is Mm -hmm. really neat because one thing that I loved about the way this was designed is that- Ultimately, he uses each of the objects that he discovered uh, in a totally different way than what was originally intended. He doesn't mm-hmm. use the cable to uh, try and climb out anymore. It's now used to trip the grabber. The the um, trying to get through the freezer doesn't work for him, but he uses the meat to lure the dog away. Like the the ideas are now taken in a totally different context mm-hmm. and constructed together in a far more powerful way than each idea on its own. And I love – one thing that I was hoping that the film wouldn't do and was starting to get slightly annoyed at is like he's just getting all of these clues and I'm so pleased that ultimately the solution that Finney used to get out is one that he came up with on his own. I think that payoff was so necessary versus – him receiving all of these ideas and then executing on them. No, it's actually his creativity, his cleverness that he could think about all these tools that he's now been given to find his way out. And he had to put in that work himself. And it just makes the ending far more satisfying. And um, yeah, so I was waiting to see how – because we, we know from the beginning of the movie that he is a clever, he's incredibly intelligent um, kid. And we're waiting to see when that will come to fruition and we finally get to see it. And it's so satisfying. And I, I love
1: that theme of collaboration, especially because the movie starts out with a baseball game. And so like to go from opening with yeah. this competition to <laughs> actually ending the film with collaboration is actually the key. I just thought that that was a really fun little Nod.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. They're saying good game, good game, good game. No, they're upset they lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Other things that we want to talk about with this movie. I
1: just I love that they chose to set this movie in the seventies. I <laughs> I thought that that was brilliant. I mean, number one people answered the phone in the 70s, didn't have color ID. So it, it just it makes sense. But I also think just that place in time uh, just made sense. And I, I think a lot of, you know, like really iconic horror movies were coming out in that time, you know, there were some really like prolific serial killers doing their thing in that time. So like, it just made a lot of sense for this to be Placed in the 70s I don't think that this could have worked in other decades nearly as well as it worked here and I think that that um, setting it in the past allows us to also have like this nostalgia and almost this like sentimentality for the past that I don't know really helped me enter into this world where I think if it was set in modern days, I mean, it would have to be a completely different movie, but if it were set in modern days, I maybe would have had a more difficult time like suspending my disbelief and being fully in this story, whereas the the past really helped me to like, oh, yep, we are in a different decade, I'm here, let's go.
0: That's a really interesting point, because I'm now imagining if this was set in modern day like you mentioned, it would be harder to to buy into the idea of someone like the grabber roaming around mm-hmm. like your community. You kind of, when it's set in modern day, you put yourself into the scenario and think like, oh, could this happen today? And I think part of what makes horror exciting is the feeling of it potentially being real, right? And And so – yeah, the, the transportation back in time also transports us to a different world that is easier for us to buy into. Ideas like the grabber roaming around town with his black truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's. I, I think that that was
1: just such a smart move and it was the right mm. time period to put him in. Because it also just makes sense. Um, I think like given just the the horror genre too you know i think uh what was this said in like 78 and a couple years later is when the shining came out too so like there's just kind of this vibe of like late 70s early 80s that this film really uh adopts that i think lends itself so well to the horror genre
0: so it's just it was it was a good good move well, there's little there's these little nods and these little scenes too where we see Finney watching a horror movie on the TV, mm-hmm. the World Tiny TV, and then um, even that whole exchange that he has with um, Robin uh, about, you know, their favorite horror movies or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and they're like, you know, comparing different movies that they've seen, um, felt like all of these little nods as well. And While watching, I
1: could just tell that this was made by people who love movies Mm -hmm. and love horror movies, you know? So, like, you have those exchanges, but then, I don't know, they're just... I I feel like you can tell when a movie is really made with, like, love and care. And, I mean, creators put a lot into every movie. But, I don't know, man, I, I feel like with this one... You could just like feel these people love movies, and they put everything into this, and that was just nice to see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah, man. And and I and I'm also thinking about that that scene where he's watching the horror movie um, mm-hmm. on his TV, and the the cinematography of that sequence was so highly effective with the the hand coming out of the bathtub and all this kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, thinking about your comment about this movie being beautiful and well shot and the cinematography and kind of the, the awe of the grabber with the light coming up from behind him and his horns just silhouetted. Um, all of that felt like, like you mentioned, made with love, and that there was this intentionality around visual communication and visual design of these shots being highly critical to the horror movie genre and this movie being effective. And so that, that emphasis and appreciation for great cinematography and shot design um, feels very integrated into this movie as well.
1: And most of this movie takes place in a freaking basement and yet like it was so visually interesting because all of the walls had like all of these different colors on them and and you had so many different like textures and and different features throughout you know the the room and then the hallway and the bathroom so you you have limited options and yet the the cinematography was visually interesting but also helped us feel trapped and claustrophobic and i i was just so impressed by how you know it's a limited location and yet so much is able to happen in there but without feeling boring or like we've seen it before and so just the way the different rooms are used or even the different walls are used uh, was just brilliant to me.
0: That door and that lock is its own character.
1: Oh, (laughs) 1000%.
0: Yeah. Every time the grabber would leave and the door shuts, there is this like visual emphasis on both. I mean, visually seeing that door just, slam shot but also this like audibly feeling that sense again it's this reminder that you are stuck here and you are trapped but also that lock is its own character as well because we see that lock being used as a strategic device of the way that the grabber tricks you or lures you and so there's this like close-up shot of that lock as well being latched open and then you having the freedom to walk through. And so the way that that door and, and, and also the hallway down to the basement to Mm -hmm. that door was so well designed.
1: Yeah, it was, it was just great. I, I don't, it, it, I don't think that I would ever like write a movie about somebody being trapped in a basement, but uh, if I were to, this is a good one to study for how to do it. Like, (laughs) yep. There are a lot of movies that happen in somebody trapped in a basement, but this one does it incredibly effectively and uses literally everything at its disposal to you know create hope, but then also to dash it into pieces and mm. and make the experience even more terrifying,
0: yeah, yeah you when you were mentioning about that bit about like creating hope, but then dashing it. Mm -hmm. Just the simple visuals of those houses turning their porch lights on uh, when Finney escapes. And there's this sense that you feel with with Finney as well that, oh, maybe someone will come out and just just at least see what's going on. Um, And then when there's those successive two shots later in the scene where those porch lights go off and are turned off, you just feel the the weight of that hope coming crashing down. Um, and there's these two, they're just simple six series of a pair of two quick shots of those lights turning on. And then later on, after the grabber has his knife to his throat and tells him to be quiet, those two porch lights going off communicate so much with just those simple visuals.
1: And I, okay. I loved that the whole movie is filled with little things like that, you know, like even when uh, the, the camera would go to that little uh, window in the basement, you know, it's it's that moment of like, oh my gosh, there is the outside, you know, there there's a little bit of hope. I, I think even in little tiny, tiny, tiny things like that, uh, the film does a really good job at setting us up (laughs) to, to feel a moment of like, Oh my gosh, maybe he'll get out of here. And then a moment later, like, Oh no, he's, he's still trapped. Oh, it's just so effective.
0: Oh yes. And there's one other thing that I remember when watching the movie was like, this was so well done and very smart, which is that we don't see Finney break down until I think the fourth Dude that he talks to mm-hmm. when he's trying to get through the freezer. Yeah. And I kept thinking, like, this kid is surprisingly calm and with it and and, and level-headed for so long. Like, is he – most children in this situation would be freaking the heck out. And we see him – it's part of his personality where he is just trying to methodically figure out a way to get out. And I love that this movie gave us time to see him hold on to hope and continue to try. But by the fourth time when he can't get out, we finally see him break down emotionally. And I think one, the delay of that was incredibly smart, but also the, the, the moment that we see him breakdown is after he's been trying to slam his tiny little body against the freezer door repeatedly again and again there's a sense of like desperation that we feel by this point that we didn't feel when he uh broke the the bars of the window trying to get out the cable there was a sense of like okay that's fine i still got some time um so i thought that was just so well timed for when that breakdown happens for finny and the film did such a good job,
1: you know, because I, I think before that is when it when the one of the dead kids was talking about like Naughty Boy and it's that happens after that, after Finney has he knows that he doesn't have time left. He's running out of time. And so the the film, like you said, like it it so strategically builds to this point of like, okay, you've, you've lasted this long because you haven't played by his rules, but now you've run out of time and you got to find your way out of here or you're going to die. So I think it's that reality of like, you, you can't talk your way out of this. He is going to kill you. And then he, he tries in desperation and, and can't get out. So the, the whole movie is just moving us toward that moment when he fails yet again. Um, and I think it also, I remember in that moment, I was thinking that, you know, he, he is probably that way because of his relationship with his dad and because he, he and his sister have been abused and have lost so much. They've had to develop this resiliency and, you know, his, his methods for coping with his abusive home really helped him, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, get through this horrible situation. Yeah. But at some point, even if you have great coping mechanisms, you still break down because you're human. So I, I think that that moment just communicated so much about the story as a whole, but also this character himself. It was, like you said, it was just perfectly timed.
0: Coming of age <laughs> drama. I will go to bat for that. <laughs> Yes, you you are correct. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> One other thing that I was thinking about and I don't I don't I've been thinking about this quite a bit but I don't have a succinct conclusion or theory about this yet, but I'm curious if you have any ideas. Is the the film seems to spend quite a bit of time at least screen time in the context of this an hour and 40 minute movie Going back to these flashback moments with each of the five boys that were killed beforehand, and they're all all the flashback moments that they chose to show uh, were so different. You know, like with um, I think his name was Bruce Yamada. Mm-hmm. This the sh- the flashback moment that they go back to is him as a child and playing baseball and being like enveloped into his parents' arms, and and then the flashback that they go back to for um one of the bullies with the big with the big curly hair is him beating the heck out of another kid like they're yeah. so different in what the movie chooses to flashback to with each of these boys and and the personalities of each of these boys are so different and i i just feel like there's something that this movie's probably trying to communicate with that to spend so much time focused on these four boys and who they are and Um, what their personalities were like and all this kind of stuff that felt significant. But I'm curious your thoughts on that. Maybe it's just to like help us build some empathy with them, but I feel like there's gotta be something more there.
1: Yeah. I, it it makes me think of how like the news has kind of shifted its coverage of uh, like mass shootings and things like that. Like Once Upon a Time, it was very much like focused on the shooter and like the shooter becoming famous and infamous and all of these things. But now, I mean, the news still doesn't do a perfect job at this, but really shifting away from like not even telling the shooter's name sometimes and focusing solely on the victims. And so I I feel like the, the Black Phone is kind of employing something similar to that you know, we never learn the grabber's real name. We don't know anything about him, other than he's this evil, sadistic serial killer. Um, But we get to meet each of his victims, and we get to spend time with them, Uh, regardless of what their personality was, or like what they've done. We are able to see them and they have a voice in this, uh, even though they were killed. So I, I think it's focusing on the victims rather than, you know, kind of giving a platform to this evil killer. It's the way that I read it.
0: I like that reading of it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because we 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 are able to build so much connection and empathy with each of those five boys, far more than we and the and the movie is strategic about not giving us too much time spent with um, the grabber. I feel like and we've talked about this in the past, but we've been on this wave of um movies and the trend of like humanizing our villains. And mm-hmm. this movie's not interested in doing that at all. You know, it's actually humanizing the victims. Um, so I think that's a that's a good good reading.
1: And I just I know that I said that this before but I I love like because our culture is obsessed with serial killers like there are so many like documentaries on like Ted Bundy and and all of these other dudes Jeffrey Dahmer like all of that like we have so much information about these serial killers and and trying to figure out like what made them tick and do these heinous acts and I I love that this film which seems like such a perfect setup for that and to like lean into you know the zeitgeist around our fascination with serial killers and it goes nah we're not going to do that we're going to focus on this story instead which is I don't know in some ways I think it's a it's a more interesting story uh to to focus on these boys and how they they fought to survive it's just they they went against kind of the the trends of the culture in this movie and i think that that's definitely a benefit for this film
0: yeah yeah i i think that i i completely agree and and uh, this movie is such a fresh take i think on most of what we typically expect out of a horror movie that it was it was exciting to see something with a fresh new idea all right. <laughs> Any other last thoughts about the black phone? Uh, I have two things. Okay.
1: One, uh, I spotted a continuity error, (laughs) (laughs) which always brings me so much joy. Where was Um, it? So it's toward the end when Gwen gets into a police car. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, okay, so the reason why... I noticed this is because it it came after, uh, the the reveal that the house number is seven seven four one, and so I'm already thinking about numbers. If I hadn't been thinking about numbers, I probably wouldn't have spotted this. But she gets into the police car, and it's it's marked car four forty. When it pulls up in front of the house, it's car uh, four twenty six. So, you know numbers. <laughs>
0: Wow. No one would – who's looking – wow. Wow. I am. I am just floored. That's clearly probably like two separate shooting days or (laughs) different locations. That's so funny.
1: I mean, when when you talk about numbers in
0: movies, I'm going to pay attention. I don't know why. I'm telling you, you have a side gig waiting for you. which is just to watch movies to find these things or be on set love and it. help the prop prop masters. I would happily do it. I love we finding continue.
1: continuity errors. It's so fun. So you
0: get fun. the dopamine hit. <laughs> yes.
1: Every time I, it's that, that meme of uh, Leo DiCaprio who's sitting in a chair pointing. And that's just me. Every time I see one,
0: I'm like, Ooh, ooh uh-huh. I
1: spotted ice, I win. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's your second thing? A pinky my, ring?
1: My, it is a pinky ring. Oh.
0: Jen, my. did you spot the pinky ring? I did not. I just Jen. I just <laughs> I better be it better be the grabber. It is the grabber. <sighs> yep. Now that is a big fat data point for our hypothesis. <laughs> Like that is giant. We might as well put that on the entire graph. It'll take up the entire <laughs> top right quadrant. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I was I was so
1: pleased because at first I think I think the pinky ring is on his left hand, and and when you first see him, he's wearing a big like chunky ring on his right ring finger, and I was like, oh, oh my gosh, is he gonna wear a pinky ring too? But like you don't see his left hand for a while. And I was like, oh my gosh, just show his other hand. I need to see if there's a pinky ring. And I was so pleased when there was one. It was great. Wow.
0: This is a good one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) The ultimate bad guy. Right?
1: Yeah. Mm. It, uh, It was only fitting for him to wear a pinky ring to reveal in case, you know, kidnapping and murdering children was not enough of a signal that right. this is a bad dude. He needed to wear the pinky ring to emphasize it. You
0: know, <laughs> It's just really what you do. Signal to the audience. Yes. Yes.
1: I am a bad dude in case the mask isn't enough. Uh, I got a pinky ring
0: for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So when I started watching this movie, uh, Somehow, uh, I I had to start and stop it a couple of times, and here's why. So the movie begins, and it's going – it has this voiceover that's like when the Universal, you know, logo comes up. It's like, Earth coming towards you, giant gold letters coming across (laughs) the screen. And then the movie starts, and I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, but this does not seem consistent with this, like, movie's – mood like this is not i'm like this is an interesting like spoof satire vibe the movie starts and it's like girl watching baseball game guy opens opens beer (laughs) and i'm like i think i might have my audio descriptions on (laughs) wow yep (laughs) but it was interesting to discover that um accessibility feature that i i had just never used before and for some reason it was on um it's kind of comical. I was like, this does not seem like the way a horror movie would begin <laughs> to have, uh, these almost like hysterical looking at uh, hysterical sounding voiceovers happening. But it made me think about like, though, for, for people that are blind and need the audio descriptions on when they're watching movies, how those are designed for something like a horror movie that is so built on tension because you, I clicked into mm-hmm. the like the later half of the movie just to see if this was like consistent throughout, which would indicate to me that I probably had some setting funky going on. Um, but you know when there's descriptions like, for example, the the Blumhouse when the Blumhouse Productions logo comes up, it's a bunch of like scary looking images, and the audio descriptions are just like this woman's very monotone voice, like arm hanging out of bathtub, dark looking home. That, wow. you know and and, it, and yeah. it just made me think about how those could be designed to also be a fully immersive experience consistent with the tone of a film um, so that people who may not be able to see but can listen to audio descriptions feel the same experience because it is it was incredibly jarring um, and I'm sure a far less, immersive experience so that was just an interesting little discovery that I stumbled into um by accident
1: okay so new business
0: idea uh <laughs> we create
1: audio descriptions mm-hmm. in a way that is that is more immersive so we we tailor these to enhance it for yes.
0: for moviegoers who who mm-hmm. can't see mm-hmm like, Love it. the audio descriptions should have, yes. like, voices and pacing. And, and if there is a moment that is silent, the audio description should, like, show you what's happening, but still somehow preserve the tension of, like, the camera, like, zooming around the corner and you're waiting to see what's going to pop out with just the same level of um, tension preserved that we would get if we were watching that scene happen. Silently, without the audio descriptions, and feeling the weight of like anticipation, you know. So it's just wow. interesting to think about. I love that. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yes. A new business idea, or what? some way to use like AI to detect yeah. like the the level of tension in a scene, and then somehow downstream. I don't know. Manipulate the the audio descriptors accordingly. Mm. Hmm. Yep.
1: I like it. I like it. We're gonna we're gonna make the the robots
0: uh, do a better job, <laughs> mm-hmm. for... and like activate the like deep sounding terrifying voice because this woman's voice was like like it sounded like Siri, like monotone, uh, yeah. smooth woman voice. Man, opening up beer. <laughs> Arm yeah. hanging out of bathtub. <laughs> yeah, it's quite comical. Yeah. Yes. that
1: That's actually super interesting. So, and just having, uh, you know, comp- I'm not sure like who is responsible for the audio description in mm-hmm. films because mm-hmm. could be a lot of people, but, you know, having them spend more money on this service so that yeah. more people can access the film and enjoy it. You know, I, yeah. I feel like, I mean, it's the same thing with, with subtitles, you know, sometimes they're just crap and they are wrong Mm -hmm. and you can tell like zero money was put into this, Uh, but yeah, investing more money in these accessibility features so that differently abled people can still experience movies well. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Come on, spend more money. We want this to be good and of high quality, not just the bare minimum.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it was making me think about our conversation with Sai, who is blind, and he shared a a ton of great insight on our episode about um, the Eternals, but it'd be interesting to pick his brain on. I'm sure he has lots of ideas about this as well, but just the the idea of like accessible movie-going experiences and designing those features to be in line with whatever genre or tone or whatnot um, that a movie is in takes extra time and effort but is important so i saw a way that it doesn't work (laughs) in horror movies with a monotone woman's voice not effective (laughs)
1: Okay, so now we've learned what not to do. So now it's we actually can do... kind
0: of funny. Like it's a it's a comical experience because it's so bad. But it's like the the tones are so inconsistent. Highly recommend turning it on just to experience it.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we can we can experience the bad, and yes. then we can we can do the opposite and make it good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. We yeah. we got
0: a plan. We got yes. this. We did great. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, well, this was our review and discussion of the black phone. Um, I think you can find it available on some streaming platforms, I know, that it's at least available on Peacock as we know. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the strategic whimsy experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review, letting us know your thoughts about Black Phone. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at experiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film, Emily the Criminal. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you very soon. We'll see you next time. time.